And so I would have constant accidents, constant breaking of bones and uh, oh constantly in and out of hospital. I lost my hearing like six times. And then at the age of 17, got hit by a car into another car. Oh my God. And was uh, bed bound for like a year and a half. <laughs> Welcome to Heroes Behind Headlines. I'm your host, Ralph Pizzullo. Our guest today is the fascinating, outspoken actress, host, writer, and activist, Jamila Jamil, who is currently starring in the new Marvel series, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, now streaming on Disney+. Jamila might seem like a larger-than-life Hollywood star, but she's also very real and human and deeply engaged in dealing with the same challenges all of us face today. On the surface, it might seem that everything has come to Jamila easily, but that's not true. And the challenges she's overcome, including the genetic disorder Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which affects the connective tissue in her body, and which she deals with every day, has made her appreciate every minute of her life and strive to live it fully. Her journey from a shy, anorexic Pakistani teenager growing up in London, England, to badass Marvel star is both unusual and inspiring. We're very honored to welcome Jamila Jamel as today's hero behind the headlines. I grew up in England. I temporarily moved to Spain when we ran out of money and then when we ran out of even more money we moved to Pakistan we basically moved wherever the pound was the strongest okay. uh, in my childhood and then eventually okay. made our way back to England uh -huh. and that's where I stayed until I was 28 years old and uh -huh. now I live in Los Angeles which is where I am currently talking to you from where did you live in Spain I lived in Marbella oh nice yeah it was nice, nice back then when there when it was still Spanish but now it's yeah. English and Irish yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, all of southern Spain has uh, been taken over. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. you can't find uh, paella or uh, any of the um, any Spanish delicacies or anything. It's just all pubs, what a and shame. we've uh, we've destroyed it like uh, the British have destroyed everything. Yeah, well, we did the same thing. We're really good at that. Yeah, yeah. I grew up overseas also, and um, mostly in Latin America, but it's always kind of sad to go back because you go back, you barely recognize it, and it's McDonald's and you know, all these chains and it loses its local flavor. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. We sound like our parents back in I know. the day. <laughs> we said it wouldn't happen. But it's true. And it it's did. true. It's true. <laughs> it happens. It's not, it's not, uh, everybody notices it. So, yeah. I know. Um, so you, you had a lot of, it sounds like you had a lot of uh, physical problems when, when you were young. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a not spoken about enough condition uh -huh. that actually a lot of people have. A lot of people go undiagnosed because you uh, look like you're almost in perfect health. It, it, it's an invisible disability, but it impacts your every cell in your body because I'm not producing enough collagen. And collagen is what kind of keeps your cells together. It's what keeps your joints together. It's what keeps your organs together. And so I live in this sort of like weird leaky puddle body uh, where I dislocate all the time and 
I uh, hemorrhage a lot and my hearing isn't correct and my teeth are bad and this, that and the other. Um, and I mean, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a very, very complicated condition that meant that my childhood was very, very tough because you also become very clumsy because your body is so fluid. And so I would have constant accidents, constant um, breaking of bones and uh, oh constantly in and out of hospital. I lost my hearing like six times and then at the age of 17 got hit by a car into another car. Oh my God. And was uh, bed bound for like a year and a half. Yeah. So and that was in London. Yeah, it was wow. it was a lot, but you know yeah. maybe that's why I have a comedy career now. I, don't know. <laughs> I made good in the end. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. I'll do it again. <laughs> oh my god! And it's something that that you you live with all the time. It doesn't yeah. go away. No, no, it's 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 degenerative. Um, but generally, I like I think because. I'm very lucky to have been diagnosed at the age of nine. I got to the privilege to be able to have the information to live my life carefully. So I'm not as like totally fucked as a lot of people probably are by the time they get to my age where they did contact sports and they didn't eat the right foods and they didn't learn how to look after themselves and preempt. It's a very, it's, it's a life uh, where you're just kind of doing death maths all day every day <laughs> you know just calculating your own safety and uh you know now i'm doing stunts in marvel so yeah. um that's you know it's, it's uh it was a choice <laughs> yeah yeah well by the way congratulations on your series it sounds fantastic thank you very much yeah thank you but uh going back to the syndrome um it's just something you learn to live with. Is there mm. any treatment for it? There's no treatment for it. I mean, I don't even know how they would begin to generate something that would teach your body how to create collagen in every, like think about how many cells are being produced every second, every minute of every day. So I, I don't think there's a cure, but there's a lot more they could do. And it's so underfunded, so under-researched, and so many people have it and are getting diagnosed with it all of the time but you know I think because we look so healthy we get accused of hypochondria a lot of the time when we're yeah, younger sure, and people sure. think that we're lazy but I mean look at this look at my arms that I'm doing for you right now where I'm extending them and to the point where it looks like CGI yeah <laughs> uh, you know I yeah this isn't something you can fake but but we get we get treated with a lot of intolerance and people don't take it seriously until it's kind of too late until you bleed out on an operation table oh or God. until you you're in a wheelchair in your 20s like a lot of people that I know who grew up with the condition because they were pushed and they weren't taken seriously they weren't believed and and I'm I'm very lucky that I had uh, the best consultant in in the game around this condition Dr. Professor Graham and so. it, it's it's something that's been around forever or is it, is it a new condition? I would say it's a relatively modern, known about condition. I'm sure it's been around forever because it's not like a disease. It's just uh -huh. uh, it's, it's an just abnormality. It's just something you're born with. Yeah. yeah, but I think they didn't know what it was for the longest time, possibly because of the fact that when we think about a disability, when we think about a health condition, you expect someone to look very sick. Right, right, right. So right, it's, only, right. it's only really, I'd say, within this last century that they've known what this is. But if you have it, you're aware of it all the time. Constantly. It affects every single part of every single day. It also 
combined with so many different other things like um pots syndrome which which means that you know if you stand up too fast you pass out constantly uh mast cell which is where you have these constant suddenly ever-changing allergies all the time so you never know when you're going to suddenly become allergic to something that you've been fine with your whole life and so that could be for me it was like peanuts and then for six years I was allergic to peanuts then suddenly I wasn't and then suddenly I was allergic to candles and then I become allergic to celery like inane nonsense things yeah I could be in a room with a candle and my my throat would start closing oh my god and so you kind of have to do like uh Russian roulette all the time yeah yeah Um, yeah and always not just with your asshole like you know it's not just you're going to just shit yourself you're it's that your throat could close up you could die right right so no, i'm it's playing serious. yeah so i'm constantly trying to see like um is this still deadly to me and i try stuff because i don't want to live a life not having of anything course. of course um of course. but it's exciting yeah <laughs> ralph it's not not exciting <laughs> yeah it keeps every day's an adventure right? yeah. yeah 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 well you're very alive <laughs> i'll say that yes yeah yeah, yeah. um and is it a hereditary thing? Or yes. Or it is. Okay. Yeah. So like okay. my child would have it. Uh, um, not that I'm going to have a child, but if I did, I would give birth to another puddle. Probably really? And, you're, and you're, you're, one of your parents had this condition or it was yeah. like a grandparent? I'm, I can see signs of it in, in every single generation, you know, ah. in like the um, elasticity of their skin. Also, we look freakishly young. Uh, for a long time so I mean that's uh, it's very handy in Hollywood yeah yeah. Uh, (laughs) I have I'm never gonna have Botox yeah Uh, it's like being a vampire you just never age because my body's so elastic I don't get wrinkles when someone else would my body just sort of snaps back if I fluctuate a lot in weight my body just snaps back well maybe you're like an evolution of a higher evolution (laughs) of our species right just actresses yeah right. (laughs) right we'll only cast actresses with this condition exactly I'll work forever. <laughs> Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS, which afflicts Jamila, is a group of conditions that affect the connective tissues in the body, tissues that include cartilage, bone, and fat, and serve to support organs, muscles, and other tissues. People with the disorder have a faulty gene that causes abnormalities in the structure, production, and processing of collagen. The symptoms of EDS vary by type and range from mildly loose joints to serious complications. Features shared by many include joint hypermobility and soft velvety skin that is highly elastic and bruises easily. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome can be genetic and an estimated 1 in 5,000 to 20,000 people have the most common type of the syndrome. It's a serious and invisible disability those who have it deal with the symptoms daily. So how did you do stunts, your own stunts in the series? I mean, in She-Hulk. I had a great team around me, Marvel. I was sure when I told them I had Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, they would just uh, fire me. Uh, But they didn't. They looked at me as a challenge. And they were like, we're going to make a stunt woman out of you. And they surrounded me with the finest stunt team that they have under their umbrella. And they uh, also provided me with a physiotherapist. And she was with me on set or after training. And it just goes to show that nothing dramatic happened. I didn't die. I didn't end up in hospital. I didn't end up with any severe injuries. I just needed a little bit of support. If we would just give people that little bit of extra support, we would have so much 
in whatever they need, we would have so much more diversity and magic in this industry. It's not as fucking hard and daunting as Hollywood right. made it out to be. Right, I've had right. the biggest company in the world just give me that bit of extra help and I was able to do everything and beyond. Like cameramen were telling me they'd never seen an actress do what I was doing. Now this is something that if you told me when I was two years old or seven years old or nine years old lying in a hospital bed I would be doing one day, I would never have believed you because I didn't think sick people got to do it, have exciting lives. That's not the messaging we receive. Right. You're just pitied you, and we, then you're erased. So but. throughout your childhood you were limited physically? You weren't Very. able to like uh, do physical activities not and sports? Not at all. Not, not at, at all. all, no. And also, like, I'm dyspraxic, so, like, I wouldn't have been, like, necessarily picked, I think, for the team. I don't think I would have won for everyone. I'm also devastatingly uncompetitive, which I can't blame when I lose down the syndrome. I just have no killer instinct. There's no... Yeah, I'd, I'd I die first win. in the wild. Yeah, yeah I right. have none of that. I'd, okay. I'd lie down and expose my belly immediately. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. I have a so dog I wasn't, like that. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. do I. Uh, yeah, in danger, I'd just piss myself, scream, and then expose my belly. Um, but, so, um, so, yeah. so what kind of a kid were you uh, growing up? I imagine very precocious, active. No. No, not, not at, at all. all. None of those things. No, uh, I was uh, extremely shy. You know, also like you lose your hearing for six months, a year at a time. You lose so much like pivotal development. It's almost oh, like dog course. years at that age. Yeah. You know, there's, you're changing so radically year to year. And I was just falling behind. And so I felt increasingly uh, unable to communicate with the other kids. I also, you know, was never very good at picking up on social cues for whatever reason. So I think a lot of kids found me very odd and I, I didn't really have friends until my late teen years. You know, I, I wasn't good at, I was very good academically. I was a great student. The teachers uh, loved me. Right. So right. fucking Asian of me. Right. Um, but, but kids. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. I had no connection to other children. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I the social did. part of it. Yeah. You also grow up way too fast when you're sick. You know, uh huh. Of course, of course. And so it's unrelatable. It's an, you have perspective yeah. that no one you're else in your, your own, age. You're in your yeah. own world. Yeah, your own people bubble. twenty yeah. years older than you don't uh, don't reserve the same kind of perspective and gratitude you have by the time you're mm. eight nine years old. You know how to really appreciate a good day. You're very aware of the light and the dark. Um, by it's such not a young just age. like oh, this is another day. Yeah. Another summer day or another. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't I complain gotta, about dumb shit because you're so grateful just to ha not be in agony that day or to not be bleeding that day. And so I honestly, I, I swear to God, I wouldn't have gone back and changed it for the world because I have lived a nourished, grateful, very present life. And I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't suffered. Maybe so I could have had a little bit less, but I generally, I right. generally feel like right. I have so much appreciation for everything and I'm able to still live such a simple life. So many of my peers who've had the kind of success I've been lucky to have, have fallen into this trap of just wanting more and more and what they like and insatiable appetites that they have. And I'm very um, pleasantly surprised that as I get to my kind of 15th year, uh, within privilege in this position, I'm still able to access just the little things. Yeah, because you're robbed no, that's, without that's them. That's very precious. Don't don't ever lose that. I Absolutely. can't now. I'm too old. Ralph. Yeah, <laughs> you just wouldn't know it to look at me. <laughs> so in a way, it was a blessing in yeah. in a strange way. 
hundred percent, a hundred percent. I look at it. I look at it almost entirely as a blessing. And now I've taken that and I've used all those experiences to help other people feel less alone by using my platform to create education spaces and advocacy spaces for people who grew up feeling like they were on the outside for people who felt erased. And, and again, I could never do that. And I take so much joy and connection from being able to do that, that it has enriched my life in great ways. And I'm aware that I'm very lucky that I've come out of that on the other side, right? If I was still as as yeah, then um, it's different. Yeah. in the same situation I was back then, maybe I wouldn't feel this way, but I'm very lucky to have had the right guidance to get myself to a place where I feel better enough to be able to withstand this life. And and it it feels it feels good and right and everything feels very whole. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Okay. That's wonderful. That's a beautiful thing. I'm a bit hungry right now, but other than that, I'm, I'm <laughs> <gonna> feel great. <laughs> Do you have to watch your diet? Is that is no. that part of no? Oh, good. No, no, good, no, no. good, good, good. No, I'm just five eleven, so I'm always hungry. Okay, <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what would you say to people who are su- you know, young people who are suffering from it? What is the biggest thing to overcome? Uh, I have like, look, there's there's not a lot of advice you can give to someone because it's kind of the thing. It's something you can't really download to someone who's currently suffering. But the things I can offer is that when you're young, especially, you don't really have a sense of how vast the world is and how vast opportunity is and how vast you are. You're told in this really arbitrary way to make all these decisions so young about who you're gonna be when you grow up and how you're gonna get there and what the steps are and what you need to do and who you need to be and who you have to align yourself with. You're not told to find the multitudes within yourself. You're not told that you're going to change irrevocably at 20. And then at 30, you're going to find all these secret skills. And at 40, you know, I found this career at 31. You don't find a lot of brown women who find their career in Hollywood at 31 years old. No, very unusual. By then, you're either out or you're you're an A-list. You're not starting off with no visa, no agent. But... I found these new parts of myself and I refused to shut them down because I hadn't uh, managed to successfully find them before the age of 15 or whenever you're supposed to decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life when you don't know who you are. So I would just say there is a whole world outside of your the, the four walls of your house, outside of the four walls of your school, that the people you are around now, if they don't understand you, that's fine. You are going to go find your people. That's right. You yeah. contain so much more than anyone else than you even know about investigate those parts of you run towards failure run towards imposter syndrome Uh treat imposter syndrome like you have crashed a wedding and you're in there (laughs) and it's too late no one can stop you now you have to get as much cake and as much sex as you can before you get thrown out and that's how I treat my whole career and my life and then finally don't like society is already going to put up enough barriers around you even if you don't have a disability or if you aren't a marginalized person do not on top of that add your own barriers do not replicate that self-talk replicate that negative talk and turn it into your own self-talk do not be your own worst enemy you have to be your own best friend you will have to advocate for yourself I now stick up for myself the way that I would stand up to my for my best friend if someone said shit to you that I said to myself freely in the past, I'd fight them. And now I actually know how. Wow, wow. You know, I've done Good some Marvel you. training. But I, I used to openly abuse myself. And so that took up a lot of time, a lot of energy. It was still very self-absorbed. Even if you shit on yourself, you're still thinking only about yourself. You're not growing anything by doing that. 
So I stick up for myself and I move on. And I hope that young people can learn from people like me and people like you to do the same. That's wonderful. Wow. I had to fuck up a lot to get that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, uh, yeah, challenges are, are constant. And that's, that's good because, uh, you know, you get to a certain point and it's like, okay, bring it on. Like, what's next, right? Yeah, and, but also, and, and, like, allow yourself the time to suffer. There's this brilliant comedian in um, London called Sarah Millican, and she has an 11 o'clock rule that uh, a lot of other comedians know about from her, which is that you're allowed to be absolutely devastated until 11 a.m. tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. and then you've got to move on (laughs) and I think that like you can completely indulge you can fucking fall apart you can drink yourself into oblivion but at 11 a.m. tomorrow which is enough it's actually a great time of day it is enough time to recover from the night before right right. but you still have the day ahead of you yeah it's the 11 o'clock rule and I live (laughs) by it (laughs) I love that that's fantastic so going back to your your development your the journey that you've been on when you became sort of like a public person like you, you've had this taken this very unusual path mm-hmm. you were a presenter you were a, a model or a model agent or I was a I was an English teacher and a model scout and I got discovered scout. in a pub and there was a big national audition for this TV host job. It was a kind of the TRL equivalent on the United, in the United Kingdom. It's the biggest youth entertainment show in the history of uh, the UK. And so I had no interest in being on television. I, you know, I had no interest in people looking at me. I was very, very shy and uh, unfriendly. And I got into an argument with this uh, producer at a you know in a pub and I made him laugh and he told me about this audition and I said no I think people in Hollywood are you know weird and vacuous and disgusting and it turns out 15 years later I I wasn't actually wrong but um (laughs) but he he said to me well it's a thousand pounds a day now I was an English teacher that's what I was earning in a month yeah of course working five days a week yeah 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 so I was so yeah, I very quickly was uh, changed my tune and was like, "What's the email address, please?" <laughs> and I uh, I sent a cover letter in with a photograph of myself. They asked me for a video. I sent in a video. I, they asked me to come in. I came in. I did the audition, and two weeks later, I was on the biggest television show live with no experience. I'd never done any kind wow. of drama school or anything and I was uh, with the world's biggest celebrities I was interviewing Dwayne Johnson and arm wrestling him on camera wow <laughs> and I didn't know what was even happening and you were to my you life. were a kid right I was you 22 were yeah I yeah. was 22 where do you think that confidence came from it's not confidence it's a it's a complete indifference to failure ah okay I Got have it. an indifferent I just don't like I don't uh negotiate with fear when it comes to that sort of thing like i i just think you just plunge like, you know, in neuro, on a neuroscientific level all of our best and most uh definitive learning comes from our mistakes that's when we register the trauma of having made the mistake is how we register and we learn in a more permanent way so i consider failure to not only be something that's nourishing but also it makes for a much funnier and more charming story for your friends you know and so (laughs) i think my love of the story is what leads me into the stupidest situations where i will go and do anything to embarrass myself so i can make my friends laugh at home i still live with all of my friends even at 36 you know and i just i 
die to come home with a mortifying story. Right. right. I live for it. It's my brand, you know, (laughs) amongst our friends. Uh, I'm a curious cat and I want to see how badly I can fuck shit up. You know, I think that's at the that's at the core of it. But also I read this book when I was 19 at a very like formative time. I, you know, just recovered from the car accident. And uh, this guy called Danny Wallace is one of my favorite writers in Britain. Everyone should read his stuff. He's got an amazing book of short stories called Awkward Situations for Men that is also hysterical. Danny Wallace. Danny Wallace. Okay. Uh, Amazing man, amazing writer. Changed my life with this book called The Yes Man. Uh And it's about this very depressed man who's sitting alone in his underpants in his apartment. His life has fallen to shit. And he just makes this decision to say yes to everything for one year and document it. And it takes him on all these unprecedented adventures. And so, you know, within reason, like, you know, I didn't let anyone touch my butthole or anything but i uh i said yes uh, to yeah. pretty much everything else right, right. Uh, in my life of adventure and travel and opportunities and so i think that book has lived on in me and i think in tribute to that character from that book when something the scarier and more embarrassing it is the more i lean in because I want to know what adventure I'm going to have. And my life has been filled of so much unexpected chaos and joy and color for having lived a life where I refuse to be ashamed of trying. I think if you try when success isn't guaranteed, you're a fucking hero. And and I and I think that that is... Yeah, I think we, we wrongly always think of the narcissists as the ones who put themselves forward. But I think the greater narcissists are the ones who are so precious about their ego that they cannot take the risk of falling in front of others. Very well put. Very and well so put. I, we're all narcissists, yeah. basically. Yeah, sure. We're all self-centered, <laughs> yeah. everybody. I mean, like, we have to be. Yeah, we have to be But it's so much more exciting you know, and and the stories are fantastic and sometimes it is painful and it is embarrassing, but I am proof that you live on. The world does not stop turning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what a career you've had so far. It's amazing. And- yeah, I, I got to go to TV and then I got hired by the BBC to do radio and then I became a writer and then I decided at 28 that I was hitting like a ceiling at such a young age because this industry is so misogynist, especially in the United Kingdom. And so is I it like, worse there? Yeah. Really? Way worse. Yeah, you no don't kidding. see. Yeah, it's, it's, it's virtual. I mean, they still haven't replaced me and found another South Asian. And I've been out of that country for eight years. Wow. You know, That's... this is, it's just wildly, uh, it's getting better, but it's, it was, it's been like infused with xenophobia and ageism specifically towards women. A white man can succeed forever, but women are kind of taught by the age of 28, you have to do some sort of reality TV dance competition <laughs> in order to kind of re- reinvent right, yourself. Right, uh, right, When you're 28, right. you're a baby at 28. I shouldn't be having to like have my second wind at that age. I was a BBC documentary maker. Like I had made history as the first woman to ever host this solo you know, show on the Radio 1. And it's not so I'm so amazing. It just means that surely I'm just getting going at that age. So right, I left... Course. I went to America, started again, wanted to become a screenwriter for comedy, uh, got given an audition to go to the good place, sorry, for the good place, which is a TV show made by Mike Sher with Ted Danson starring in it. Yeah, and yeah. again, I had no idea how to act. I didn't want to do it. But there's a part of me that, that wants to genuinely know what is the worst that could happen. I want to see it and I want to be there. <laughs> 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 Throw it at me. What are you going to yeah. So I can talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> 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 
And so I went to that audition and no one knows how, because I did not suck any dicks, right? If anything, I could fuck my way down this industry. I have no skills in that department, but because blag just doesn't count in the bedroom. It doesn't, it's not charming, doesn't work out. So, uh, but I got that role <laughs> and now, uh, and then I found myself a month later standing opposite Ted Danson, one of my heroes yeah, on fantastic. the set of yeah. this multi, multi, multi-million dollar show on wow. NBC. And then four years later, I got cast in Marvel and I'm a supervillain. I have no idea what the fuck is going on or what I'm doing, but I think that's very inspiring because if I can, anyone can. Right, right, right. Fantastic. I'm aware you've had like real experts and scientists and like FBI operatives on your podcast. And uh, now you've got me and I'm sorry to lower the tone. No, not at all. Absolutely not. No, you're, you're, you're a very special person. It's a total, total pleasure. So let's talk about your activism because you've, mm -hmm. you've been uh, very outspoken about a lot of things, especially having to do with, with women, right? Mm -hmm. And their place in the in our society and um and can you talk about that yeah i think one of the f i i've i've always been very outspoken but i just kind of didn't have the leverage of a global platform until i was on the good place the show with ted danson and so suddenly when i was on that show the same shit i'd always been saying to my tiny following online was amplified and went completely viral and once that happens, once you become on the media's radar, especially if you are a young woman, especially if you are a woman of color, they become obsessed with you. And suddenly every single thing you say starts being amplified. And so there's a choice of do I shut up and go away and preserve my mystery and my yeah. dignity? <laughs> Obviously, that's never going to be me. Uh, or do I lean in, run with the moment and try and change whatever I can. And I knew having been a journalist before that I wasn't gonna have long. We don't allow women to shine or to fly too high for very long. We give them 18 months to two years at best and then the smear campaigns come. It is a perfect system. You go back, you look through history, Jane Fonda, Princess Diana, Anne fucking Hathaway who didn't even do anything wrong. She yeah, just practiced her yeah. award speech and then the world turned on her. Jennifer Lawrence, it's a it, Marilyn Monroe, it's a defined system. Now, before we used to have women rise to prominence so rarely that we couldn't spot the pattern. But now you have so many fucking celebrities in so many different regions. Anyone can become famous for anything now. You can spot the pattern more clearly. So I knew I had a short window and I just ran with it. I decided to say everything I'd ever wanted to say since I was 12 years old. <laughs> You're going to get it all. No, I got 12 months. I baby. got it yeah. all off my chest. I talked about diet culture. I went up against, you know, the Kardashians, not because I had a personal gripe against them. I think they're lovely, fine, impressive women, but they were promoting products and a lifestyle that was very dangerous. No, to kids. and it's an image that's... Uh... You yeah, know, but yeah. regardless even of the image, it's how they're getting the image. They're not saying the truth of how they've gotten the image. They're selling unregulated, dangerous products on the internet and potentially dangerous, like even at least emotionally, you know, they are they are taking uninformed people who trust them, who look up to them. You know, we religion is it's making a comeback, but it's been dead for a long time in America. And celebrities replaced God 
for a while. We we have that we have created a deification of celebrity in a way that is incredibly scary and toxic and dangerous. Because from experience, I can tell you, we don't know shit. We couldn't be more out of touch. Do not we are not your leaders. We we the reason so many of them believe that we're living in a simulation is because we are living in a simulation. We are the last people anyone should should uh, aspire to be similar to. Yeah, no, it's um, a very strange society. Very, it's very peculiar. Very, I mean, it's why you end up with a reality TV star, you know, as the president of the United States. I know, I know. But yeah. listen, it's so I just, um, I had an eating disorder from the age of 11 until 30, 30 years old almost. And so that was 20 years of my life stolen to an obsessive, crazed eating disorder where I could have died so many times and I've done irrevocable damage to my body via the products I've taken for the quick fix and the shortcuts that were being sold to me by my favorite celebrities. So I suddenly find myself 20 years later in the snake pit around those same celebrities and I know the 12 year olds that are watching this shit and I'm, I have an opportunity. I've Trojan horsed my way into this right. industry <laughs> and I have an opportunity to just blow shit up from the inside. And so I did and I have... I genuinely can credit myself with full confidence in having completely obliterated the normalization of diet culture in our mainstream. Everyone was selling diet teas before I got here. Everyone was selling shakes, waist trainers, corsets. Oh, like it was so yeah. hyper-normalized to start. We, we, women were commended for starving themselves. And I Not came that. in and was just so fucking annoying towards anyone who would do it that people now do it just so that they don't have to deal with me they can't be bothered to know that i'm going to pop up like a little fucking <laughs> annoying self-righteous meerkat and come after them publicly that they've just stopped and magazines have shifted the way that they talk about this stuff That's now there's fantastic. loads of there yeah. are activists for decades before me but we don't listen to the people we should be listening to we listen to the goddamn privileged and it's so annoying and so unfair, but that's why the privileged have to make sure that we speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, so you're I, you're unique because you're articulate. You have a background in in writing and journalism and so on, and so you can also express yourself. Uh, whereas a lot of people who are in, who are celebrities are are very bad at it. Yeah. Know? Well, I listen. I don't think they're as bad as it as they are just afraid and greedy. You rock a gravy boat, and I've cost yeah, myself yeah. millions in doing this. Like I would have ten houses by now if I'd taken the diet tea, you know, adverts that came to me, and if I just agreed to Photoshop my images and participate in the lie and the bullshit. I would be, have so much fucking money and so much of an easier life and so many less gray hairs. Yeah, but at, at a certain point, money becomes like irrelevant, right? I mean, it should. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does, and it doesn't. Like, let's just be real about the capitalist infrastructure, and like, I'm at the, I'm in the belly of the beast. But it was just my personal choice, and and I sleep better at night, mm -hmm. personally, knowing that that I'm I'm not just. You know, I've said it before about certain celebrities that you're profiting off the blood and diarrhea of teenage girls. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very explicit yeah. and disgusting. Yeah. But I'm explicit and disgusting. Um, and and it's just it's uh, it's if that's the only mark I make on society is having annoyed diet culture. I like I have cost this industry billions Good with for my you. big mouth. According to the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, nearly 300 million people of all ages and genders in the United States suffer from eating disorders, and every 62 minutes someone dies 
as a direct result of one. Having suffered from anorexia herself as a teenager, which she developed as a result of societal pressure, including magazine articles selling weight loss products, Jamila today is a leading critic of diet culture and the pressures on people to live up to unrealistic body images. In March 2018, she founded iWay, a community allyship program which she describes as, quote, a movement for us to feel valuable and see how amazing we are and look past the flesh on our bones. iWay has had a real impact, including helping to change global policies at Facebook and Instagram around diet and detox products being shown to minors. The platform, which includes a weekly podcast hosted by Jamila, is currently campaigning to introduce two bills to the Senate. Yeah. It's really gross. And, and, you know, kids as young as four years old are being diagnosed with eating disorders. We have 24,000 kids a year just in the United States being uh, admitted to the emergency room because of these diet and detox products that are unregulated, being sold without the side effects being written on them by influencers online. I managed to get Facebook and Instagram to stop showing these to under 18s. So I got those products banned from being shown to under 18s. And now I'm working on a bill that is on its way to Congress to be able to remove these products from even the shelves for under 18s. So you have Fantastic. to show ID hopefully to be able to use them and then we'll take that to the supreme court like i i am on a mission because we we underestimate we look we think of eating disorders as this thing that just happens to thin white vein girls who want to be supermodels and it's so much more than that anorexia is the highest cause of death in any mental illness like let that let that sink in the fact that we don't know that anorexia is the leading cause of death in any mental illness wow that's stunning and it's the Sorry. highest it's ever been post-pandemic and post the social media wave. And we are losing kids and it's not just happening to girls, it's happening to boys now as well. We found out through all of our work that the, the muscle gain products that they're giving to yeah, young boys an, and young men, yeah, they contain toxic heavy metals and Viagra. Oh God, yeah. So we are just playing with people's like neurological systems, with their hearts, with, with their with, hormones, with the yeah, whole, yeah, yeah. with the whole, whole hormonal and cardiova cardiovascular system. Someone needs to do something because we're literally poisoning the next generation. What was motivating you? Was it a strictly like a body image thing? It was, um, it was because I didn't fit in in any other way, right? You know, I had a weird personality. I didn't fit in with other kids. I was too tall. I was too Indian in a white school in a country that hated South Asians. And then 9-11 happened and then it became really dangerous to even be South Asian. You know, in the West for a while, they were throwing acid in the faces of South Asian oh, women. Yeah, you know, so... Yeah. You couldn't wear a backpack on a train. Yeah. You know, it was just... Wow, yeah, yeah, it was I, a remember. Really I remember peculiar, those days. It was yeah. a really peculiar time. And so I think it was just about assimilation. It was about thinking, right, this is what I need to do to be accepted. This is, this is how I will not stand out. And if I don't stand out, they'll stop bullying me. And they'll accept me. And they'll think I'm one of them. And so it was about assimilation and control. Okay, just being super thin. Yes, and taking yeah. whatever tip I had to from the other people who seemed to be accepted and adored. Ah, got it. 
to be like, right, it's working for them, so I'm right. going to do that. Like, right. I remember that's Oprah what everybody talking else, about, yeah. Yeah, Oprah was talking about oolong tea and how it burns 17 calories. Like the fact that I remember this from 20 years <laughs> yeah. ago. And so I would drink seven oolong teas not knowing that's the highest concentration of caffeine that you can drink. And I was awake for, <laughs> yeah. till like July. Right, you know, right, 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 <laughs> The following right. year. You can't sleep for no, a week. No, I was yeah, buzzing. Yeah. You know, I look like a crackhead at 15. And so this is, this is the, there's no uh, regulation of this information. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we're, we're really bad about like preparing our, our youth for uh, like how to deal with their bodies, how to think about their bodies, Consent, uh, what to put in their sex. bodies, what not to yeah. put in their bodies, sex, all of that stuff. We are so bad. And we let, and in that sort of space that is open, all this other stuff comes in with people trying to sell them, you know, products and images and and they have no defense because they they don't know anything. Right. Well, it's because we conflate ignorance with innocence. Right. We think if they don't know, then it can't hurt them. Whereas actually, if I'd known about, you know, I, I, I suffered sexual abuse as a kid and also as a young adult, like I if I'd known more about consent if i had known more about the signs of groomers or predators if i'd known more about what diet products do to your body or the fact that only 30 percent of anorexics will ever recover oh. which is such a tiny wow. number wow. like if i'd known any of these things if someone had broken it down to me then i would have been I would have actually preserved so much more of my innocence. I grew up too young because I had to experience these things with no understanding of how to navigate them, of how to spot them before they happen or to navigate them when and after they've happened. So this idea that if we just, we, Don't we tell shield them about children it. Yeah. by not telling them about it, you shield children by telling them in a way right. that makes them feel empowered of course. and safe. Of course, of course. You're really doing it for you because you don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation or you don't want to have to yeah, learn. Exactly, it's you're leaving them to fend for themselves right, on an right. internet where they're gonna, they know. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about uh, men, women, and men. Yeah, uh, because I listened to your TED talk. It was great. I thought it was uh, really interesting. And and so you know, let's talk about that a little. Uh, it wasn't a TED talk. It was a speech I gave at a women's conference, and I think they were all expecting me to talk about women, and instead I chose to talk about men and not shit on men and not be misandrist like to encourage empathy and an actual plan as to how we can save everyone including men from misogyny and toxic masculinity because it's killing them faster than it's killing us right 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 i mean uh you know from my own experience i would say you know men learn a lot from women and women have a tremendous impact on men because we're always looking for signals from women in terms of like what they want you know we have to start with the fact that we're all we're so much more alike than we are different you know we're humans we're trying to figure this out we have emotional selves we have physical selves we're trying to find our way in the world and I think the, the whole communication has been sort of thrown off off course. Right? Women and men learn a lot from each other. Most of my friends are boys. 
You know, I, I'm so nourished for our relationships and I, I think so often, I was just having this conversation this morning with my uh, roommate. I live, you know, my boyfriend and I live with a bunch of guys that I've known since I was 19, which is very cool of my boyfriend and thankfully he's yeah, my yeah. best friends with them as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, I was, we were just having such a like wonderful, funny, uh, emotionally open conversation at like seven o'clock in the morning. And I was like, God, so much of the world is missing out on this dynamic of, of what men and women can get from each other, like how much they make me laugh, how safe they make me feel and vice versa. Because we have made, we're so sex obsessed, we're so gender obsessed, we are so stereo we're so obsessed with with maintaining stereotypes because if you can't put people into boxes then you can't sell stuff to them right capitalism and colonialism but especially capitalism i think are at the heart of all of these stereotypes right so if we keep we can't sell men a certain kind of film we, we will the demographics will become too fluid if we allow people to, to no, be we're always throwing this idea that of, of roles that you have to play. You have to play yeah. this role and you have to play that So you can buy that shit role. that you yeah. need for your role that they told you that you have that isn't real, that they made up, right? It's, it's all based on making you buy shit. It's like you tell man that men that they need a car, then they'll work themselves to death and not have any fun and any therapy and any time to themselves and not spend time with their kids so they can buy that expensive car no, that you with, told with them your, they need. Most men... You know, that's what they talk about in their cars. Like, yeah, they talk about their cars. Women talk the about their waistlines. What the hell do I want to talk about? I don't want to talk about my car. Like, that's the most uninteresting thing in the world to me. A hundred percent. It's all based on like what you can acquire. Acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. And so there's no time of gratitude, of nurture. And, and you know, what I say in my speech is that I think men, that the men who oppress women or who allow for the oppression of women are have are doing it from a place of feeling very devalued, right? Oh, sure. Because because we don't put any importance on the friendship, companionship, and and uh, community of men and women together, they think that they're only good if they're needed. So it's like, I need to be needed for foraging. I need to be needed for safety and protection. And I have to provide the seed. It's like women are having babies on their own. We have Postmates now. You know, we, we have Uber. We have doors and windows and locks. No, and it's pages. challenging. It's challenging for men. Yeah. And we need them. I need men. I need the men in my life. I need them as much as I need any woman. And if and and my life would be so shit without them. And I wish that more people understood that we need each other and that that is it is a beautiful and important and joyous union that we all benefit from. But they feel like they're nothing more than a seed now. And so it's about reminding each other we're on the same fucking side. Everyone's hurting, everyone's in pain, no one feels safe. We, we need to come together and join as a union. I think misandry is such a misguided and embarrassing part of feminism. Some, some sections of feminism, most feminists just want equality, but some want revenge. They're just so fucking unhelpful and I don't associate with them at all. I'm about progression, I'm about unity, I'm about actually f like, uh, what do you call it when you, restorative. Right. No, look, I like strong women. I like strong people, period. I like people who are confident. Mm -hmm. I like people who know what they want and are good at what they do. I mean, these are all good things that, that we want to engender in each other, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't, I, who, who wants somebody who's, you know, 
subservient to you or you feel is less than you, you know, why would you want to engender like any of that kind of stuff? But these roles, these ideas are sort of like, you know, planted in people's heads. Like it's all this, you know, that there's this power game that goes on and that you have to always, you know, be in control and, and on top of the game, right? Instead of this idea that like, hey, we're all who we are. We're all different, right? We all have different backgrounds. Like that's what makes it so interesting, right? And yeah. we need each other to make this thing work. Like you I'm, talked in the be- beginning about, you know, like having a community of people around you, you know, like even when you made uh, She-Hulk mm-hmm. and you had all these like physical trainers and uh, stunt people helping you, you know, do what you were able to do, right? Mm-hmm. If we all just kind of like communicate, pitch in, help, that's what we need. Mm-hmm. That's what I think everybody wants, really. But there's so much fear in the way. There's well, so that's much- again, it's capitalism, right? It's individualism. It's the rise of individualism in the West. If you isolate people, you can make them unhappier. Unhappy people buy more stuff to fill a void that you have created. It's a perfect system. It's not a tinfoil hat. That is the system. It is the system. I, I see it even thriving. going further than capitalism in terms of wanting to control us right? Wanting to separate us, Mm -hmm. we're easier to control. We're easier to manipulate, whether it's for buying products or for following some political agenda or for, you know, just going along with the way things are when we know that they're, that they're not serving us, right? A hundred, on hundred percent, we are losing our, we are losing our emotional, our spiritual and our political freedom every day. Absolutely. I mean, being somebody uh, from a journalistic background, you know, every event in history that I've gone back and, and examined, I can actually go back to the reporters who reported on it at the time and say, hey, why did you write this? Like, I've looked into this and this is all wrong. Mm-hmm. And some of them will admit it. They'll even say, yeah, you're right. I was in the moment. I was listening to this particular person who was telling, giving me this information, and I didn't take into account that he or she had an agenda, and therefore I presented it this way. But they never get a chance to go back and correct that. Well, it's very hard now to trust the journalists, and there are trustworthy journalists, but now there are so many snakes in the pit who are just clickbait mongers that you you don't even know who to trust anymore. They've kind of sullied the um, the well. But listen, critical thinking is incredibly difficult, right? We live in a world where we are algorithmic, algorithmically manipulated to look at the things that we are already looking to to confirm our, to confirm our biases. It is very hard to find news that is not um, politically oh yeah uh, motivated. Yeah, yeah, I, I look yeah. at all sides now and ground news for my news because they are they're not even centrist they're apolitical they just respond to what's happening and then they tell you which side has covered it the most whether it's left right or centrist (laughs) and so you can see kind of where the agendas lie and this is where I now get all of my information I follow people outside of my bubble I have people on my podcast who are outside of my bubble I am interested in engaging in the way I get positioned by the media is I'm this like super woke screaming brown sjw you know that's the character i've been given but if you actually look into any of my work into any of my speeches 
that couldn't be further from what I no, stand for. No, I don't get for. that at all. Yeah, But that's yeah. the caricature that I've been given right. because they want to make an example out of me so that other people will not rise up and question the system mm. the way that I am. Interesting. So they just go, look, we're going to mock you and ridicule you and right. exaggerate and right. hyperbolize Yeah, she's crazy. She's off there smear somewhere. Campaigns. Yeah. yeah, they smear me all the time. They're like, she's crazy. She's a liar. She's this, that, and the other. They can't take women out and kill them in the street anymore like they used to in the good old days. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. now they just kill They're our just, credibility. They yeah. kill our reputation. Yeah, that's an ugly but, thing. Yeah, but I am the ghost of cancellations past, and mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you <laughs> that you get to decide when you're done. Yeah, yeah. And women, especially men, have more of a get up and brush yourself, dust yourself off, and and try again. Women are told to just delete themselves, and they do. A lot of women's cancellation comes because the woman bows out. I didn't bow out. I got piled onto by the world. And I did not bow out. I Good kept going. I was like, what would a white guy do? Yeah, yeah. And I did yeah. and I did that. And I kept going. We don't like have redemptive moments or pieces for women. When a man fucks up, he gets the big GQ piece and he looks all like thoughtful in it. He's right, impressive right. and all the I've pictures. He's, never, yeah. he's not looking in the camera. He's looking into the distance. He's thinking about his mistakes. He explains his fucked up childhood. We go like, oh, what a king. He told us why this happened. And we, we're, we're with him so brave. Women don't even get the opportunity to explain themselves. There's no big redemptive piece. So I have to be my own redemptive piece. Good for you. I had yeah, to start you my gotta... own media, my own, like I had to get away from doing news articles and now I just do everything on my social media. I get more coverage than any of these people. You just have to keep going. You have to keep telling the truth and you have to keep finding, like stop seeking traitors and seek converts. And so we have to stop idealizing over what human nature is like be realistic take a step back and look at okay and then what so we have this fight and then what does that achieve and then we have that fight and what does that achieve zoom out look for the bigger picture and actually go for progress i genuinely think a lot of people have lost faith in progress so they're not even gunning for it anymore they just want to scream at each other jamila continues to be active on many fronts from acting, to writing, to podcasting, to speaking out on issues like diet products, celebrities who promote unhealthy body ideals, and model industry standards promoted by companies like Victoria's Secret. And she backs up her words with actions, including having founded the iWay community and podcast, supporting the Cultural Learning Alliance, which promotes access to culture for children and young people, and the V-Inspired National Awards for people aged 16 to 25 who have contributed to their communities through volunteering. In 2019, Jamila was one of 15 women to be on the cover of the September issue of British Vogue called Forces of Change, guest edited by Megan, Duchess of Sussex. And on August 2nd, 2019, Jamila was awarded Advocate of the Year from the Ellers Danlow Society, We thank Jamila for her honesty, courage, and candor. And it's with great pride that we welcome her as today's hero behind the headlines. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Ralph Pizzullo. Our producers are myself, Frank Hobbs, and Apex Media. If you haven't already, please download, rate, review, and subscribe. And check out some of our past episodes, such as Knockout Blow to the Italian Mafia in the U.S. And don't forget to tune in to the next episode of Heroes Behind Headlines.